Cedar Point Church, which uh, just a reminder, this is Cedar Point Church, even though it's on a Monday. We're not two separate things, but one. And so we share the same vision. And Cedar Point Church is a story-changing place. How many of you have heard that? Cedar Point Church is a story-changing place. If you haven't, we failed at our job. Um, Everybody should know that and hear that. How many stories have been changed in here? Mine, mine is no different. Um, I, was, I was much different when I first walked through these doors about 10 years ago. But Cedar Point Church, that's not just a slogan we have here, right? It's not just a phrase. It's not just branding. It's our vision. It's the heart behind everything that we do here, that we want people to show up in all their brokenness, whatever that looks like, and for them to be introduced to Jesus so that their stories could be changed, so that however they show up here, that they would leave just a little bit different and a little bit different, and that one day our stories would be so different that we'd be unrecognizable from who we once were. And it's not because Cedar Point's great. It's because the God we serve is great. It's not because of anything that we do on the platform. It's because that Jesus... Jesus is the ultimate story changer and everything that we do here is about guiding and directing people to a real relationship with him. It's about discipleship with him in in any way possible so that stories can be changed. And so Cedar Point is a story changing place. Well, tonight's message is about that. It's about story changing. It's about our stories. And tonight's message is titled this, A Tale Worth Telling. And the thing we want to talk about is your stories. I want, I want to encourage you in the story that God's given you. And I hear this all the time when I'm talking to people and they say, I wish I had a story like yours. Well, I wish I, wish I had a story like yours or uh, you just, I don't want to share what I've been through. It's, it's too dark and people don't need to know that or, or hear that. And, and I want to encourage you with this, no matter who you are, that your story is unique and your story can uniquely reach people in your world that my story can't reach or that the other person's story next to you can't reach, that that we've all been given a story and it's worth telling and it's worth sharing with the people around us. And so I wanna open up tonight with a passage from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter three. 1 Peter is in your New Testament. It was a letter written by Peter. This was the guy that was Simon. He had an encounter with Jesus and Jesus eventually told him, you know, upon this rock, I'm gonna build my church. And he ended up changing his name actually to Peter. And so Simon Peter became known as Peter, the apostle Peter. And he wrote this letter to um, execute or persecuted Gentile Christians in Asia Minor. And so 1 Peter 3, 13 through 14, it says this. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. And Peter's encouraging them because the people that he's writing this letter to, they're persecuted. I mean, in a severe way. They live in a pagan culture, a culture that actually holds up deceit and lie and moral failure. And so you have these Christians living in this culture that their way of life looks vastly different. It's in stark contrast to the people around them. They stand out. You couldn't follow Jesus in their culture and it not be known to everybody around them. The problem was the people around them didn't, didn't care for them, didn't care for their way of life and would persecute them on a regular basis. And so Peter, he was writing this letter as an encouragement. He talks about unity. He talks about loving your husband because sometimes the women would get converted and their husband would still be pagan and, and they would have to, to love their husband in spite of his flaws. 
or vice versa. And he's just encouraging him through all of this. And he says, no matter what, no matter what you're going through, he said, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even suffering for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. He continues in verse 15, and he says this, instead, say instead. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle, say gentle, and respectful, say respectful, respectful. way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. And so what Peter is saying is as you live among unbelievers, as you live in a culture where people view your lifestyle as backwards, that, that your greatest testimony, first and foremost, should be the way that you live. Always be eager to do good. And he opens that up and he says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. So be eager to do what is good. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. That means that you've given him authority, that even if you disagree with what God's word says, you still pursue it in the way that you walk out your life day to day, that you don't let culture shape and influence the way that you live your life, the way that you treat your spouse, the way that you treat your children, the way that you conduct yourself outside of the church walls or anywhere else. Live as Jesus being Lord of your life. And then lastly, as people notice that you live differently, because if Jesus is Lord, and this time here to the persecuted Christians, and in the time we live today, people should recognize it. There's things that you should be doing that look different than the people around you. And that it should be evident that if people are coming up to you and saying, I had no idea you were a Christian. Listen, that's a sign you're living your life wrong. It should be evident in the things that you do. But lastly, again, people should notice that you live differently and then be prepared. Say prepared. Prepared to share your hope as a believer. Because as you're walking this out, as Jesus is Lord, as the things that you are doing in life are in stark contrast to culture, people should wonder, why in the world are you doing this? Isn't it difficult? Isn't it hard? Wouldn't it be much easier to live like the rest of us? That should be the conversation that comes about. And then in that moment, you know what you get to do? You get the opportunity to share your hope as a believer. You get to say, let me tell you why I do it this way. Let me tell you why I wake up on a Sunday morning when I could be doing other things and I go to worship my God. Let me tell you that why on a Monday at seven, when I could be elsewhere, I show up to worship Jesus. Let me tell you why I love my wife in spite of her flaws or I love my husband in spite of his flaws. Let me tell you that the way that we walk out our life, the things that we do, should arouse questions in the people around us. And in those moments, we should gently, respectfully share our hope as believers. And so what is your hope as a believer? Is your hope the fact that, that grandma had a picture of white Jesus in her living room? I hope not. I hope not, I mean, because that's not a solid foundation to build anything on. I hope that it's not your, your spouse drags you to church week after week. Those aren't the reasons we should follow God. I hope, I hope that you have something of substance. I hope that as you've stepped out in faith and pursued him, you've had a very real encounter with Jesus that shaped your reasons. Your hope as a believer is your story. 
It's your story. The story that you may be ashamed of, the story that you may want to hide from the people around you, the story that you think is worthless is your hope as a believer, the same hope that Peter's talking about sharing with the people in your world. And the people in your world, let me tell you something, they're not always the same people in my world. I may not get the opportunity to share with those that you know. That's your job, that's your call, that's your mission, to share with those in your world your hope as a believer. I know for me, my story, I share it all the time, and it's absolutely not because I'm proud of where I come from or the things that I've done. I share it so that Jesus can be glorified. I share my story so people can know how far from God I was and the work that he's done in my life so that they can have hope and encouragement that he can do the same in theirs. That that's our hope as believers. Here's the thing, there is nobody on the face of this earth that could ever convince me that Jesus isn't real because I know my life has been encountered and impacted in such a way that I don't care what you point out to me that nothing can take away the, the very real experience I've had with a very real God. That's your hope as a believer. It's not found in the pages of your Bible. It's found in the story that God's given you and the experience you've had as he's laid his hand upon you and as he shaped and molded your life as you pursued him. It starts in faith. It starts in faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. That there was a day that I stepped through these doors that I wanted something different and I didn't have it yet. That was faith. And that's where my story began. But as I pursued him, that faith, that substance, the thing that I hoped for that I didn't see, I began to experience it and walk it out. And I encountered it in my life in very real ways. And so it starts with faith. And then we experience it. And our hope our hope that started with faith is produced in our story that we get to share with the people around us. And so I wanna encourage you tonight, don't draw back, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed, don't discount the work of God in your life. Begin to share it with boldness and tell people what God's done for you. Tell people what Jesus has done in your life and how he can do the same in theirs. And so again, tonight, we want, we want to talk about our stories we want to talk about the tale that's worth telling. We want to talk about your story and why you should shout it from the rooftops, why you should tell it privately at work, why you should share it with your kids, the people around you, and say, let me tell you what God's done. Let me tell you why he's good. Because people can argue till they're blue in the face about theology, about history, but you know what people can't argue with? A changed story. Nobody can look at me and say something significant didn't happen in my life. Anybody who knew me 20 years ago can look at me today and know something's taken place. And nobody can argue that truth and nobody can argue that truth in your life. And so that hope, your story, it's meant to be shared. And tonight I wanna share three reasons why we should know our hope as believers. You should know your story. You should write it down. You should have it in your heart. You should think about it and dwell upon it and know this is where I came from, this is what God did, and this is what I'm doing today. Know your story and share it with the people around you. And so more importantly, again, why we should share that hope. And so point number one tonight is this, our stories reaffirm our faith. Our stories reaffirm our faith. And so when we talk about sharing our hope as believers, one of the most important things they do is reaffirm our faith. I know this, that if I get off track, if I'm struggling, one of the easiest things I can do is look at where I was last week. 
last month, last year, five years ago, and begin to dwell on the things that God did. And nothing reaffirms my faith more than that, of remembering the work of God in my life, remembering how faithful he's been through the years, through the decades, through my life, and how his hand has rested upon me. And so again, our stories reaffirm our faith. I wanna share with you all a story from John 9. This is a story where Jesus encounters a blind man and he heals him. And, and I hate to use the word story because we hear story and we might think fiction. But, but I wanna remind you that, that our Bible, it's the word of God, that it's true, but it's also historical accounts. And so when we talk about God's word, this is, this is history, it's God breathed, it's recollected events that, that truly took place. And so John 9, Jesus encounters a blind man. And in John 9, one through two, it says this, Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? Because in Jesus's culture, they thought the sins of the parents were, were levied against the children and, and that's why disease or disabilities were brought about, why somebody would be born with some type of birth defect. And so his disciples are asking, why, why is this man blind? What sin has he committed? What atrocity has taken place in his life? What has he done wrong? And they continue and he says this, it says, um, I got that mixed up a little bit. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, or uh, sorry about that, I got way off track on that. And so <laughs> I got things all jumbled up and together and I just really messed that up. So we're gonna wing it for just a little bit. So Jesus encounters this blind man and, and his disciples begin to ask him about this. And so Jesus begins to do a work in his life and he begins, he mixes up some mud with some spit. He rubs it in the man's eyes, and, which is really nasty. We don't wanna do that. But he tells the man, hey, go, go wash yourself in the pool. And so as this man encounters Jesus, he goes and he follows Jesus's instructions. And as he washes the mud that Jesus had created in his eyes, this man, this man was healed of his blindness and he was restored. And so as this blind beggar is going through the community, people begin to ask, isn't that the blind man? Isn't that the guy who, who was crippled from birth, who, who had this defect? Isn't that the beggar we saw at the streets? Because changed stories begin to arouse questions. And, and I know the same happened in my life. People would see me and see where I came from. And, and they would be like, didn't we used to, to get high together? Like, what's going on here? Didn't we used to hang out at the bar? Aren't you from that, that place, that neighborhood? Isn't that you? And people are gonna ask, is this the same person? Is this the same man that we saw begging? And they begin to ask this. And it says his neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar asked each other, isn't this a man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was and others said no. No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? Because as we begin to walk out our faith, as we begin to live differently, as we allow ourselves to be marked by the work of God, it should become evident in our lives and people begin to ask questions. And when people begin to ask questions, you know what we have the opportunity to do? Share our hope as believers. Begin to tell our story. The one that you've discounted. The one that the enemy's told you is too dirty, too messed up to share. And this man had that same opportunity and he began to share with them. He told them, the man they called Jesus, he made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. 
He shared his story with the people around him and he began just to encourage him in this moment. Not because he knew a lot of scripture, not because he was well-versed in theology, but because he had a very real encounter with a very real savior and he began to share his hope, his encounter, his story, and he began to encourage people around him. As he did this, the Pharisees, um, they began to ask questions. Who did this? Jesus. And they were angry because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And so they began to question the man's parents and question the man. And in verses 13, it says, then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed them. And they began to question Jesus' reason, his authority, began just to berate the man. And then later, in verses 25 through 26, he says this, I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. Again, I was blind, but now I can see. That's all he needed to know. That's all he needed to know to share his faith, that I was a drug addict, but I've been healed. I was an alcoholic. I was stuck in two decades of depravity, but I'm free now. I didn't know how to love people in my world, but God's given me a soft heart. I couldn't step out of depression, but God's freed me. God's healed me. Whatever your story is, that's I was blind, but now I can see. Let me tell you about God. This was who I was. This is who I am. This is what God's done. This is what God's done is we do that. It begins to reaffirm our faith. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? One of the best ways that we become convinced of our faith is when we're questioned. And so this man was questioned, who was he? How did he do this? And you know what happened? This man was forced to begin to question, well, who was he? How did he heal me? And begin to question the work of God, which you might think is a bad thing. But when we've truly been touched by God and truly been impacted by him, it allows us to reaffirm our faith. And as he's questioned in verse 27 and 29, he says, look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. But because this man had been cornered and had the opportunity to think back through his story, to think back through the story that you may have shied away from, this man had the opportunity to reaffirm what he believed and why he believed it. And look at his response. He said, why? That's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes. And yet you don't know where he comes from. Maybe he healed your addiction. Maybe he's restored your marriage. Maybe he's healed your children. And you don't know where he comes from. You still question your faith. You still question this. When we look back on what he's done and how he's impacted our lives, it gives us an opportunity to shore up, to reaffirm the things that we should already know to be true. And as this man was cornered, he said, you don't know? You don't know? And they said, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind And in verse 33, he says, if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. That if Jesus wasn't real, could you be free today? If Jesus wasn't real, if your faith wasn't of substance, would you be sitting in this room today? I know I wouldn't. That would be long gone, far from this place. 
if the God I served wasn't real. And when we evaluate our stories, as we look back of where we've come from and what we've been through and the things that we've encountered and what he saw us through, we can know if this man wasn't from God, then who is he? He has to be. He has to be. This has to be. And so our stories, again, point number one is this. Our stories reaffirm our faith. And I love that last part. If this man were not from God, how could he have done it? When we share our transformation, point number two is this, it brings glory to God. My story that I'll stand up in here and share, that I share publicly, probably way too much at times, it's not for me. It's all to bring glory to God. That the things that I openly share with so many people have nothing to do with me. They all point back to a very real Jesus because I have a, had a very real encounter that, that changed my story, that, that changed who I was, that made me a new person and a new creation. And so again, point number two, our stories bring glory to God. I wanna share with you out of Titus. Um, Titus was a letter, it was written by the Apostle Paul and, and here in Titus 3.3, 3, Titus is a very short letter. I encourage you to read the whole thing. Um, it's a very incredible history behind it, even more so. Um, but in Titus 3.3, 3, it says this, once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy, <clears throat> of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Now, by reading this part right here, you may think that, man, this dude is hardened criminal, very bad guy, worst of the worst, scum. I mean, to have a story like that. But this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of your New Testament, a guy who had an encounter with Jesus, who was a murderer, who was far from Christ and had his story transformed. And so what is he doing in this letter? As he's encouraging his fellow believer and fellow leader, he's saying, I was once like that too. I was once broken. I was once lost. I was once far from God, full of lust, pursued pleasure. That was me. He continues and he says, but, say but. But when God, our savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit, that our stories bring glory to God. And so here's Paul sharing, this was who I was, broken and lost. That's who we all were, but God showed up. But God changed this mess, but God transformed me. And when we share our stories, it's not so we can reminisce the good old days and how fun it was in the trap house or, or wherever it is you're coming from, it's so we can point to God and say, this is what he saved me from. This is how lost I was. This is how far from God I was. This is what he did in my life. And that's the exact reason you shouldn't shy away from the dark parts of your story. That's the exact reason you should step out in the open and let people know all the dirty things and say, that's what God dealt with. Look at me now, look what he's done. Not because of me, but because of him. Our stories, they reaffirm our faith, but more importantly, they glorify God. And he continues, he says, he generously poured out the spirit 
upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, because of his grace, because of his grace, not because of our work, not because of our pride, not because of our relentless pursuit, but because of his grace, because of his grace. He made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. And so it's easy, it's easy to fall victim to the belief that what God has done for you is just for you. I hear this time and time again, my faith is my own. It's for me. My faith is personal. It's private. Can I just say this? That's crap. Okay? It's meant to be shared. It's meant that, that that's how other people are impacted. That's how other stories are changed. That the things that have taken place in my life, in your life, are meant to be shared. They're meant to be shared in different ways. Not all of you will ever stand up on a platform like this. But every single one of you encounter somebody who's far from God, who doesn't believe, and there's something in your story that maybe plants a seed, or maybe there's something in your story that reaps a harvest, but all of it's done to glorify God, and all of it's done with the intent that there's people out there whose stories have yet to be changed. Your changed stories changes stories. And so we're meant to share the things that have happened in our life. Again, he generously poured out the spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our savior. And because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we'll, we will inherit eternal life. Because oftentimes the things that God has dealt with and that Jesus has changed because they come with that element of shame, of guilt, embarrassment, it's difficult to share. I get it, but we have to begin to push past, push past that. Begin to share the things in our lives so you can impact the people around you. It's so hard. It's so hard to, to share things from, from the Bible. Like, I understand that. I, I talk to people, it's like, I just, I don't remember. I can't remember the verses. I can't remember the stories. I can't remember the scripture. If you can remember your story, begin to share that. Your story reaffirms your faith and it brings glory to God. But it's important to share all of those details because number three is this, our stories pave the way for change. Another way to put this, again, a change story helps change stories. That, that an impacted life impacts the lives of those around us. Save people, help save people. We can say it a hundred different ways. But the things that have happened in our life, they're not meant to be personal or private. That God does those works in us, not only to save us, but so that we can impact the people around us. That's one of the reasons that here we don't operate in anonymity. That I think that's one of the most unbiblical things you can do in recovery. And you can disagree with me all day long. I would love to have a conversation with you after service if you disagree with that. I may not be very polite about it, but I think, man, I get, again, I say it so many times. Yeah, if you're doing dope, man, there's shame and guilt. You wanna hide that. But if you're getting free, do it openly. Do it in public, man. It encourages people. That if you come and talk to Janelle and I about our marriage, if you're struggling, we'll tell you all the good times and we'll tell you all the white trash Jerry Springer moments we have too. Because 
What is us lying about our relationship? What good does that do to anybody? But when we talk about how difficult it's been at times to have a good marriage, what an encouragement to people around us that they can have a good relationship too. When I talk about my kids, I love them, but I'll be open about the fact that sometimes, man, and I do that because it gives you hope that if I can raise six kids, keep them alive and not beat them, you can too. Again, our, our stories, they pave the way for change. That's why we've got to do it publicly. That's why we've got to do it openly. That's why we've got to share the things in our life. You can't just share the highlight reel. That doesn't do anything but drag people down around you. You've got to share the nitty gritty. You've got to share where you came from, what's happening, and where you're going so that people around you can be encouraged. As we close tonight, um, I want to share from Mark 5 to illustrate the importance of this. And so this is gonna be a lot. I want you to focus on it. I really encourage you to go back and, and read some of our, our, our verses from tonight and study on them just a little bit. If you, if you need to know where they're at, you can find them all in the YouVersion Bible app. All of the verses, scripture we use, and go back, look at it there. The events tab, YouVersion Bible app. But here in Mark 5, um, starting in verse one, I'm not gonna be reading all of it tonight. Um, again, I encourage you to go back and read it. What had happened is, is Jesus was crossing the Sea of Galilee. So he just um, fed a bunch of people, hopped in his boat, crazy storm kind of comes up. All the disciples think they're gonna die. That's this story. And then he lands on the other side and he's in this, this region. And, and when he steps out of this region, which was like a Gentile region, which meant they weren't Jewish believers. Um, they just crossed the lake and they came and this madman came out. Some, some of you who are raised in church might know him as the madman of Gadara. And so here this guy who's demon possessed comes out to meet them. Um, one of the first things he does is, is bow in reverence to Jesus. He recognizes Jesus as Lord, which is really important. Again, if you remember, our Bible's the word of God. These are historical events that happen. And so here this madman is, is recognizing a very real God, very real God in the body, real, real savior. And this guy's story was that he was so possessed, so tormented, so distraught that they tried to chain him up in a cemetery and he would cut himself, he would break the chains, terrorize all the people. And so as this guy came up to Jesus and bowed, he said, hey, please, Jesus, it's not your time, leave me be. And Jesus cast him out into 2,000 pigs, which is how we know it's a Gentile reason because Jews won't have anything to do with swine. And so here Jesus cast the demons out, the legion that identified himself as legion into the 2,000 pigs, and they immediately um, drove themselves into the lake and drowned themselves. Now, you would think that this town would be ecstatic, right? Jesus, the miracle worker, he showed up and he changed that poor lost soul. He impacted his story. But anybody who's really come through a, an incredible comeback knows that oftentimes it's the people in your immediate circle who criticize you the most as you've changed. And so here Jesus had performed this incredible miracle in Mark 5. And the people are upset with Jesus. They're upset that it happened. And so in Mark 5, 15, it said, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. 
That's crazy. They were, they were more afraid of the sane man sitting clothed than the naked man running through the cemetery because they didn't quite understand what had taken place. And it continues, it said, then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs and the crowd. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. And Jesus has showed up and he had changed this man's story. And their first response was, get out of here, go away. We want no part in that. I know me personally, when my story began to change, people questioned it. They questioned the validity of what I was doing. I had some people think, oh, what are you, like joining a cult, something like that? I mean, I mean there, that, that was kind of the response I got personally. And I don't know if that's your story as, as you've pursued things that are different and pursued Christ, but that was their response. And in verse 18, it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with them. Now you would think, Jesus has healed this man. Of course he's gonna come be my follower, right? That's, that's Jesus. That's what he does. I mean, he called Matthew, the tax collector, to come with him, and Simon, the fisherman, and all these other broken people. Why would he not take this man? And so this man, let me come with you. Let me join you. This is Jesus' response. He says, but Jesus said, no. <laughs> Go home to your family and tell them. Say, tell them. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. Go share your story. Go, go share with the people in your world what's happened, what's taken place. I get that right now they're not very receptive. Go tell them anyways. Go share what God's done in your life. And so the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region. It's very important. I want you to, to dwell on that in just a moment. The 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. And so Jesus shows up. He does this amazing work. And the immediate reaction of the people is, get out of here, Jesus. What's really incredible is if you fast forward two chapters in Mark. And you went from Mark 5 to Mark 7, verse 31. It says, Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the 10 towns. A deaf man with speech impediment was brought to him and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man who'd healed him. That the same people that drove Jesus out after this man shared his story and shared his story. A man who didn't have the scripture. Our Bible wasn't written. He didn't have that. But he had an encounter with Jesus. He had his story. And he was faithful to what God had told him to do, which was tell people what I've done for you. Tell people what I've done for you. And two chapters later, that same area where Jesus was driven, people show up and said, do it again. Do it again. Heal this man. And they began to crowd around Jesus with a completely different attitude. And what changed? Jesus had a storyteller amongst them. Jesus had somebody who was willing to share. You know what? I was naked. I cut myself. I was chained in a cemetery. What an embarrassing story. But he told it. And then he said, but God showed up. Look what he's done. I've got pants. And that incredible story 
which I'm quite certain <laughs> lacked eloquence <laughs> and lacked scripture, changed an entire region of people in the place that Jesus was unwelcome was suddenly welcome. And one change story became two change stories, became three, became four. And that's why we change, that's why we share our stories. Our stories, our stories pave the way for change. Don't allow the enemy to discount what God's done in your life. Don't allow the enemy to rob you of what God has given you. What started with salvation should naturally progress to telling people what he's done and sharing with the world because your story may soften the heart of one person who otherwise would remain far from God and your willingness to share what God has done in your life may lead to, to one saved person, two saved person. Who knows how far your story will reach? One man's story changes an entire region. To recap tonight, point number one, our stories reaffirm our faith. Our stories reaffirm our faith. That if you're struggling tonight, go back to the place where it all started. Remember what God has done in your life. Remind yourself of how he's been faithful of the work that he's done. Our stories reaffirm our faith. Number two, our stories bring glory to God. You may be <laughs> the topic of discussion in your story, but you're not the main character. When you share your story, it should glorify God. Share with others what he's done. It's not by your ability, it's by his. Let people know. And then number three, our stories pave the way for change. Our stories pave the way for change. That, that your willingness to share with others, not scripture, just what he's done, can make a world of difference. Change a neighborhood, change your workplace, change your community. There's no telling what your change story can do when you begin to open yourselves up and just begin to share with those around you. Our action steps tonight, number one, write out your testimony. Not necessarily to get up here, just so you, you know it. Again, at the beginning, we talked in 1 Peter and it said, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Write your testimony so that you know your hope as a believer. Get it reconciled in your mind so you're prepared. Not prepared to get up here. Be prepared where it's really gonna count. At work, maybe with the mother that's, that's crying, doesn't know what to do. Maybe you have a story for her. The dad that's struggling. Whoever it may be, have your testimony prepared so in that moment, you can share with them what God has done in your life. And number two, share your story with those around you. Just share, 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 share. I love, I love to tell people what God's done in my life. I love to share the things that have taken place and the things that he's delivered me from because I'm fully convinced that it makes a difference. Not because of me, but because of him. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. My, my stuff was all broken and messy. But what he's done, it's been great. It's been beautiful. So share your story with those around you. All of this, when we talk about it, when we talk about change stories, it starts with an introduction to the story changer. And so if you were in here tonight and, and you're far from God, you're like, 
I've never encountered this, experienced this. I don't know what you're talking about. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. That if you're in here tonight and, and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you've never had the opportunity for your story to change. Maybe that's the reason you've been stuck in a rut. Maybe that's the reason that your life has just remained broken in a wreck, in a mess. The thing that you were missing is a relationship with Jesus. That's where it all starts, where it all begins. And so if you're in here tonight, I wanna encourage you to make that decision tonight. At the end of service, we're gonna have some people up front and they would love to pray with you and for you so that you can accept Jesus for the very first time. And, and what that means is that it realizes, it's you realizing that you're far from God that you can't save yourself and asking for forgiveness, that you believe that Jesus was the son of God, that, that he's the only one that can change your story. And lastly, you make him Lord of your life. That's where you commit to follow him all the days of your life, where you allow him to be in charge. And so if that's you, if you wanna make that decision tonight, I wanna encourage you in just a moment to come down front. Again, let us pray with you and for you. If you're in here tonight and, and you've made that decision before, but Maybe you've gotten off track. Maybe you went back to the cemetery. <laughs> Maybe you went back to being blind. And you're like, can Jesus do it again? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're ready to come home, Jesus is, is willing and ready to accept you back. And so if you need to recommit tonight, I want to encourage you to come up front, same as the others, and let us pray with you and for you so you can recommit your life tonight. And then... Maybe you just need a white chip. As, as we've talked about things tonight, our stories, maybe the Holy Spirit's just revealed a broken area of your life, a place where that you've just continued to hold on to that you haven't allowed him to impact. I wanna encourage you to come pick up one of these chips up front. All it is is a reminder. There's nothing special, magical about it. It's just between you and God so that you know, so that you are reminded that thing, I gave it to him. He's got it. He's working on it. He's healing me of it. He set me free. And so if you need to pick up a chip tonight, I wanna to encourage you to do that. And then lastly, maybe you just need prayer. This is a house of prayer. We're for you. And one of our favorite things to do is to pray with you. And so if that's you tonight, you just need somebody to journey with you in prayer. Let that be us. And so for any of those things this evening, to give your life to Jesus for the first time, to recommit, to pick up a white chip, or just to receive prayer, we wanna encourage you to come down front and pray with us. And if everybody would, as we close, to stand to your feet and worship.